This morning, I'd like to share with you some insights that I have gleaned, I think I have gleaned from God, from uh, one of the parables that Jesus told, the parable of the talents. And hopefully, through that, we can hear from God through his word and his spirit, and then have courage to apply what we learn uh, to the living of our daily lives. So let's read together. Let's read God's word given to us in Matthew chapter 25, verses 14 through 30. It's a parable that Jesus told, the parable of the talents. Or in the new version of the NIV, it's called the parable of the bags of gold. Starting to read at verse 14, Matthew chapter 25. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his wealth to them. To one he gave five bags of gold, to another two bags, and to another one bag, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received five bags of gold went at once and put his money to work and gained five bags more. So also the one with two bags of gold gained two more. But the man who had received one bag went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received five bags of gold brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five bags of gold. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with two bags of gold also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two bags of gold. See, I have gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one bag of gold came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid, went out and hid your gold in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers, so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. So take the bag of gold from him and give it to the one who has ten bags. For, for, for whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. Throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. God, our Father, Lord Jesus Christ, God, Holy Spirit, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you for the gift of your word. May we hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. I love the way Jesus taught through stories. Uh, Always have and always related well to the, the lessons, the way Jesus could tell a story and in a very relatable way, make some points to the people he was teaching. And in this parable, the parable of the talents, we see Jesus teaching this way, right? There's the three servants, the one with five, the one with two, the one with one, 
The master gives them his property to look after, to care for, to, to use, and then he comes back, and we've just heard how that went. I think there are many things we can learn from this. I'm going to highlight four, so I don't pretend this is an exhaustive list, um, but uh, I think these are four things that we can, as the church today, be reminded of, learn, and implement in our lives based on this teaching of Jesus. The first one is one that I think we need to be reminded of, and it's, it's very simply this. Everything that we have, everything that we own, everything that we are, everything we can do, everything belongs to the master. Look at the servants in this story. The master gave one of them five, one of them two, one of them a single bag of gold. They then used that. They made decisions about how to invest that, how to put it to work. Um, you know, one of them dug a hole and put it in the ground. One of them went to work. Um, they had full control over it and were called to steward it, to care for it, to, um, yeah, all of those things. But they didn't own it. It was not theirs. It was the master's property. You know, some interpretations of this parable I've read uh, really focus on the financial aspect, the material thing, and say the talents represent our possessions. Others say, no, it's more than that. It's your gifts, your talents, your abilities. In fact, that's where we get the word talent from um, in terms of ability. Um, I think it's even more than that. I think the very essence, it's saying who we are, like the song we sang, the breath in our lungs, everything is a gift from God. Everything that we have, everything that we are belongs to the master. It's been entrusted to us. We, we care for it. We make decisions. We are in control of it, but it's not ours. You might say, well, I worked hard for my money. That money in the bank, that paycheck is because of my education and my work. Well, Deuteronomy says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it's he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. I'd say, this is my property. I paid a lot of years on that mortgage. That, that little stamp of land is mine. Well, no, the psalmist says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. James makes it very clear and says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change, like shifting shadows. All through the Old and the New Testaments, we see this truth repeated. We're reminded that everything that we have, we are not our own. Everything that we are is a gift from the good master. Everything we have belongs to God. And therefore, that should influence the way in which we make decisions about it, the way in which we live out our lives. Do you ever feel bad for the servant who got the one bag of gold or the one talent? Yeah. I have this inner sense of justice and fairness. As a kid, my parents would tell you that one of my common refrains when I thought that I was being hard done by was, it's not fair. 
It's not fair. How come this servant got five and this one got one? And then as you read about the culture and the context of, you know, first century, the Near East, you, you see that that actually was a common thing. So to bury money, to us, that seems ridiculous, right? You wouldn't go in your backyard in Mississauga and dig a hole and put a little box of, of uh, cash. Well, we don't even really use cash anymore, but you know what I mean. We wouldn't bury our money. But in that time, that was actually considered a culturally normal thing to do to keep your wealth safe. So it wasn't like he did anything really out of line with cultural norms. I always kind of would hear this story growing up and think, you know, that guy gets a raw deal. He's only he's given one measly talent, and then he does what's normal doesn't take any risks, he plays it safe, and is not rewarded for it. In fact, he's punished for it. Okay, a couple things. First is this. We need to, this is why I don't think it's actually that helpful that the new version of the NIV translates it bags of gold. We need to understand what a talent was. And as I've done some research on this and read different uh, scholars, I've learned that a talent of gold actually equated to 20 years' salary for a day laborer at that time. Think about that for a second. Take your salary, or maybe your ideal salary, if, if you're looking for work right now. Think about what a normal living wage is in Canada. Have that number in your head? Now let's test your mental math skills. Times it by 20. Okay, hopefully you're, if not, get your cell phone, open your calculator. Um, But think, 20 times an annual salary. Now imagine I come up to you, or someone comes up to you and says, here, could you look after this and use it? Would your first reaction be, oh, but you're giving that person more? No. No. Because, here's the second thing that I want us to really highlight from this parable, each one of us has been given an incredible amount. The master in this story, the point is not that this servant got one, this got two, this got five. The point is the master was generous with all three servants. And in the same way, God has been generous with each of us. All of us have been given an incredible amount of gifts and talents and abilities. I mean, if we're talking about possessions, by virtue of the fact that we are here, we're probably the five-talent servant compared to world standards. Um, I was reading recently that, according to recent numbers from the World Bank, 80%, so four out of five people today, live on less than $10 a day. I mean, there's all kinds of things to factor into that in terms of cost of living and all that. But the point is, we actually are the rich. So when, when uh, Paul writes to Timothy and says, command those who are rich to be generous, he's talking to us. Um, but it's more than money. It's more than possessions. It's skills, it's talents, it's gifts, it's abilities. It's who we are. The master has been generous with all of us. All of you. Every person here has been given talents and abilities 
abundantly from God to use and invest in his kingdom. If you've believed the lie that you don't have anything to offer, I hope this morning you recognize that for what it is, a lie. You have something to offer. You have been given an incredible amount from our master to look after and steward. I think that's important for us today to be reminded of. We have been given an incredible amount. God has been generous with all of us. Before I went into ministry, I was actually, well, sorry, full-time vocational ministry. I was actually a school teacher, and before that I thought I would be an engineer. uh, That didn't pan out so well, uh, but it made for an interesting first year of university. Anyway, I took engineering, and one of the reasons that I thought that I would like to be an engineer, um, other than the salary, was because I was really interested in these large-scale industrial, not industrial, like civil projects. Like, when I was a teenager, they were building the Confederation Bridge between uh, New Brunswick and Prince Edward Island. And I remember touring that site and thinking, this is incredible. It's massive. Um, I remember driving across the Mactaquac Dam in New Brunswick, where I grew up. It's actually a fairly small hydroelectric project compared to others. Um, but still, it's this huge, this huge dam that uh, changed the St. John River and created this huge head pond and Mactaquac area. And just being amazed by the scope of it. But when you think of a hydroelectric dam, um, you know, you build this, this thing that blocks the water and it causes this huge head pond to form. The value in that dam is not in the fact that it stops the water, right? It creates potential. But the potential is released and forms electricity when the gates are opened. When the gates are opened and the water flows through and the turbines spin and the generator produces electricity. Like the water behind that dam, like that, each of us has been given an incredible potential, right? We've all been given a huge amount from God. The next thing I want us to learn from this parable and remember is that like that water, we need to, we need to put it to work. We need to allow it to flow. We need to let the turbine spin. God calls us to take what we've been given and put it to work. For his kingdom. Look again at, uh, at these three. Who were the servants that the master rewarded? They were the ones who took what he had given them, invested it, put it to work, and earned more. They weren't the one, it wasn't the one that buried it, that played it safe, that didn't take chances, that whatever expression you want to use. It was the servants who put what they had been given to work. And in the same way, we are called to take what God has given us, our gifts, our skills, our talents, our abilities, our possessions, and put that to work. What has God given you, and how can you use that for the good of his kingdom? I get to see churches 
do this all the time. It's one of it's why I said I love to visit churches. It's because I get to see how they are taking the different assets and resources that God has blessed them with and using them for the good of his kingdom. I think of a church I just was at recently in the Dominican Republic who have literally no material possessions, but they're musically gifted, skilled musicians. And this church of 25 people is reaching out to uh, 450 kids at risk in their neighborhood through music lessons and English lessons. What have you been given? How can you use that for the good of God's kingdom? I think of the church in the Philippines where you're partnered. Um, You are investing your talents in God's work there through things like child care centers. So the next picture will show uh, one of those in Hopevale, I believe. Uh, This is one that I believe your team visited when you were there last. Um, It's the church saying, what have we been given? Well, we have, actually this is the nicest building in the, the whole community. It's one of the only two concrete structures. We have, a, we have a facility. What have we been given? We have the ability to teach. What's the need? Well, there's these children who have no access to early education. So we, you, are partnering with this church as they share God's love through a practically giving good quality early childhood education, doing it in a way that communicates that God loves them. And actually through that ministry is connecting with the whole community at a much broader level. This is one example of how you are investing what God has given you in his work in the Philippines. Another, the next picture is a rice field. It's actually um, Hope Santiago's rice field, who's the leader of the partner we work with. And this picture was taken as of a demonstration plot. So the Philippines, rice is a staple. You eat it all the time. Um, I don't know if your team had this experience, but it took me a while to get used to having rice with my breakfast. Um, But I was told if if there's no rice, it's not a meal, it's just a snack. Almost everyone is, like most of the pastors specifically in the Philippines, are subsistence rice farmers. What that means is they produce hopefully enough to feed their family, and if they have a little bit left, they will sell it through whatever networks they might have. So as, as Michael and Melanie, our field staff, have been in Rojas, they said, well, what do we have? We have business skills, right? Michael was, his background, his theological education as well, but his background is business. He ran a window and door business. Um, we can help these farmers organize, these pastors organize in cooperatives so they can get their rice to market. Because uh, the Filipino government actually imports cheaper rice from neighboring countries rather than supporting their own farmers. It's, it's, speaking of it's not fair, um, that would be one. But uh, he also said, well, we have access to people who are experts in agriculture and can help develop protocols and farming techniques that will make the crops much more resistant to typhoons and drought and really increase yields and also increase the nutritious, the nutrient value of the rice. It's called the system for rice intensification. Um, that's been implemented. Now, 
I don't know if you're like this, but some people, myself included, have a tendency to say, well, I've always done it this way and it works fine. Do you ever get into a routine of the way you do things and not really looking to change? Um, rice farmers in the Philippines are no different. And they've been farming rice for generations. And this is when you plant, this is how you do it. What do you mean you want us to do it differently? So this plot, this picture, actually is uh, Hope Santiago's field, um, who, when they first started the cooperative, he agreed to try this new protocol. And once his friends and co-workers and other pastors saw the incredible difference in crop yield, uh, there was no problem getting people on board with uh, this new system. It's interesting, through this uh, cooperative, they're actually expanding to other food products and uh, looking at hydroponics because there's, most people have very small amounts of land and looking at hydroponics as being a way to grow some other vegetables like lettuce and tomatoes that might have some more um, nutrient value. Anyway, what does that have to do with the gospel? All kinds of things. What's it have to do with the gospel? It's the church saying, this is a way for us to practically respond to hunger. It's a way for us to practically respond to unjust uh, credit uh, lenders, money lenders, and people who loan these farmers money at exorbitant interest rates so they can get their seed. Um, it's a way for uh, pastors to experience um, financial independence so that they're free to do the work that they're called to do. Um, this is a way in which your church, in partnering with Mike and Melanie, in partnering with the church in the Philippines, is investing what God has given you in his kingdom. Another way which we do this is by responding in times of need. Uh, the next picture that I'll show is of your partner church. I believe it was taken in Libas, which is the fishing village, um, one of the four rural areas where you support child care centers. Um, Typhoon Ursula f went through um, this, these Filipino islands on Christmas Eve this year. Didn't get a whole lot of press, I think, probably because of when it was. But um, this is one home that's been destroyed. Um, Michael visited with that family. We are responding as people, as we invest what God has given us to respond to this crisis um, by home repair, other structure repair, but then probably the more important, no, that's not fair, the, the next step, which we don't often think of, is livelihood replacement. So you have people that are farmers who have lost their crops. You have uh, fishermen whose boat is gone and who, whose stuff has been destroyed. So we're also working for um, not just helping rebuild homes, but helping really offer some livelihood replacement um, so they can get back to what they do. All of these are different ways in which the Filipino church, in partnership with you, is investing what God has given them in his kingdom. But it's also here, right? It's not just in the Philippines. God has given us, everything we have belongs to God. He's given us an incredible amount he calls us to put that to work. So again, let me ask you, what has God given you? Do you have the ability to cook? Well, can you cook a meal for that person who's hurting? 
Do you have the ability to pray? Yes, you do. Can you pray for that family or friend that needs to know Jesus? What material resources do you have, and how can you prioritize giving to God's kingdom through your local church and through partner organizations? What has God given you, and how can you invest that in his work? Like the water behind that dam, open the gates, let the turbine spin, generate that electricity. God's given us an incredible potential, but we have to put it to work. One more lesson I'd like to sort of highlight from this parable. I want us to go back to the one-talent servant, right? The one that I kind of feel bad for. What was his mistake? What was his mistake? And what was his motivation? Why, why did he refuse to take a risk? Why did he bury the bag of gold in the yard? Because he was afraid. Go back and read the scripture. It says, he, he goes on and says that uh, the master was a hard man, harvesting where he didn't sow, gathering where he didn't scatter seed. So I was afraid. He was afraid because of his perception of the master. I am thankful that our master, that is not an accurate description. Our master is a God of grace and mercy and love and forgiveness. And because of that, we do not need to be afraid to take risks. We do not need to be afraid to invest what we've been given to serve him. So often our fear gets in the way. Fear, God, will I have enough for my retirement? I can't, I can't give. I have to be tight-fisted and hold on for myself and my family. God says, I have given you everything you need. Be open-handed givers. Fear gets in the way and says, well, what if, what if I get rejected? What if people um, think I'm, I'm strange if I talk about uh, God and his love? We don't have to be afraid. God says, do it anyway. Or, or fear, of, fear of failure. We can't do it that way. What if it doesn't work? What if it doesn't work? Well, things fail all the time. And that's not up to us, but we, can, we don't have to be afraid. We can step out and take that risk. Because maybe it won't fail. Maybe it will work. Everything we have is God's. He's given us huge amounts. He says, put it to work in my kingdom. And we don't have to be afraid because our God is good. And he loves us. So we don't have to be afraid to take risks. Last slide I'd like to share with you. It's a picture that I took in San Salvador in a Catholic church called uh, the Church of the Rosary. Um, and it, it was a church we just visited because it's a unique architectural, like it's this really neat structure with stained glass all through it. And it has an art exhibit with the Stations of the Cross done in rebar. Now, the traditional Stations of the Cross, uh, as you go through it, it uh, would end with Station 14, and it would be Jesus in the tomb. 
But I was really struck as I walked through this art exhibit and took the different pictures that this artist had chosen to add a 15th station. And if you can read the little blue sign there, you probably can't. The English translation is, Jesus is risen. And it's, you can kind of, I think, make out what's happening there in the sculpture. He is risen. And the reason I end with this is because I have talked an awfully lot about what we are supposed to do. I've talked a lot about what we, how we are called to work and take what we've been given and put it to work. But we don't do that in our own strength because Jesus is risen. We don't do it to earn salvation because Jesus is risen. And it's our, 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 the gift of life is based on that, not upon what we do. But we, we respond to that and serve because of God's grace. Jesus has risen. And the scripture says, the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work within us. So when we step out and take what God has given us and put it to work in his kingdom, we don't do so in our own strength. We do it with the same power that raised Christ from the dead. God's spirit dwells in us as the church, and it's his spirit that will be at work as we step out in obedience. Jesus has risen. Let me pray for you. Our God, we thank you that you are alive. And we thank you that the same power that raised you from the dead is at work within us. Lord, may that spur us on to take chances. May that spur us on to step out in faith. May that give us courage to know that we can take all of the many things you have blessed us with and put them to work. Lord, I pray for this church. May they be a people who open the gates and allow the water to flow through and spin the turbines. Lord, may they be a people who take all of the things that you have blessed them with and that they use it to put it to work in your kingdom. Lord, may this be a place where people know and come to know you as Lord and Savior. May this be a place that demonstrates that good news and good works. Lord, I pray your blessing upon these people. In Jesus' name, amen.